baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley and Nick Green. Hello again and welcome to From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley, joined as always by Nick Green as we take another look back at the week that was in Major League Baseball, what's coming up, and of course, we'll talk a lot about the Atlanta Braves who have been in the midst of a road trip, kind of an up-and-down affair as they come home for the weekend. Nick, we've gotten a chance to watch this Braves team for nearly a month now. We've got a lot of different storylines that maybe we didn't expect when we came into spring training, but as you well know from living this entire you know 162 marathon thing, Things can change quite a bit. The Braves are kind of dealing with a little bit of that, but all things considered, sitting around a 500 record, wrapping up that first month of the season, you have to like some of the things you've seen, and you kind of know the things that you got to work on going forward. Well, the best part about this, and I know that people are frustrated at times, and I am too. Sure. Uh, the team hasn't played up to their capabilities. We know that, but it's still early, and they have things to learn, and they're going to get better at certain things. Guys are going to start to find their roles. Guys are going to start to step up. Uh, so there's a lot of things to look forward to, but they're only one game out of first place in the East, and that's a good sign. And they haven't been playing great baseball. They had a two and five home stand. They go on the road. They have a chance to go four and two uh, on the road trip, and they end up going three and three. The road trip was better than expected, especially the way it started out. So I think you have to feel pretty good about where they're at. Uh, they could easily be ten and fourteen right now, but they're not. They're twelve and twelve. So. Uh, there, there are a lot of things to look forward to with this club, and I think they're going to continue to get better. Yeah, I think that there's a, obviously a lot of baseball left to be played, a lot of things left to figure out, and you brought up an interesting point. You know, Has this team reached its peak yet? Has it reached its true capabilities of showing exactly what it is as constructed and what it may be as you add some pieces and as things play out for all the other teams in the division? That, of course, is a wait-and-see proposition, and that, of course, is something that we'll dive into amongst the many things going on for the Atlanta Braves and, of course, around the rest of Major League Baseball. Before we get started, though, I invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave us a rating and a review. We always appreciate them. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at From the Diamond Underscores, where you can find the show. I am at Grant McCauley. And you can find Nick at NickGreen20. From the Diamond.com, you can find every episode, all the articles, and all of the content that we'll be putting out throughout the season and, of course, all year long. We'll have you covered over there again from the Diamond.com. So, Nick. Let's jump into our Atlanta Braves news and discussion part of this. As you mentioned, they're maintaining a 500 record, are the Braves, in a very tough division. There have been some ups and downs that we briefly touched on, and we're going to get into a lot more here. They enter this weekend, though, against the Colorado Rockies, a team that certainly has not played its best baseball yet, but is looking a little bit better than the last time we saw them. The Braves enter the weekend one game out. It's a four-team race for the NL East, and I don't think we have really any answers about these four teams, the Braves, the Phillies, the Mets, and the Nationals, in no particular order, because I think each and every one of these teams has its own flaws and is trying to kind of figure things out as they go and kind of come together as a team to, you know, 
find that groove, if you will. And the Braves are no different than any of those other teams. Everybody has their flaws, like you said, and they had everybody has to work these things out. This is just what happens. I mean, for goodness sakes, Noah Syndergaard is pitching terrible baseball right now. Yeah, he's not going to continue to pitch bad baseball. You know, it's Jacob Degrom. He's on the injured list. Those things are going to work themselves out. With the Braves, it's the same situation. The bullpen's been an issue. The rotation's been a little bit of an issue. All these things are going to start to play themselves out, but everybody has their flaw. If you look at what everybody's done over the last 10 games, everybody in the East is four and six over the last 10. I saw that. So that tells you all you need to know right there. Mm -hmm. And you look at Philly, what they did opening series against Atlanta, and you're sitting there going, wow, the Phillies are going to run away with the division. And they haven't. Uh, So just because it looks good on paper and they have a good series doesn't mean they've got everything figured out. And that's where you're looking right now with the East. Every team has something to figure out, and you just have to be glad that you're not five and a half out like the Marlins are right now. Uh, Because if the Phillies played like they did in that first series, the Mets played up to their capabilities, all of a sudden you're looking at five games back already, and that wouldn't be a good thing. No, that'd certainly be a hole you don't want to get into. You can talk to the Boston Red Sox perhaps about that. I mean, they're a team that certainly has the capabilities to be playing better than they are, but this has been a pretty disastrous start for that team. The Braves, meanwhile, at 500, and, and you touched on this in your you know, opening remarks, I guess, if we want to call them that and be very, very proper with how we do this podcast thing, which, of course, is <laughs> one of our big goals. But in your opening statement, you mentioned that the Braves could be 10 and 14 right now. And conversely, they could be 14 and 10, depending on a couple of games, of course, that got away on the last homestand, which, as you mentioned, was a two and five uh, affair that obviously didn't go the way the Braves wanted to on more than one occasion. But this is a team that is and does appear to be that close to figuring some things out. One of the big reasons why the Braves are what they are is the play of Ronald Lacuna Jr., who was the dynamo at the top of the order as he ran away with the National League Rookie of the Year last year in 2018. And now we are celebrating one year of Ronald Lacuna in the big leagues. And his encore thus far looks pretty fantastic. He's picked up right where he left off a year ago. He's in the heart of the order now for the Braves batting cleanup. And Nick, let me throw some numbers at you. One year into Ronald Lacuna's career, though just 135 games, thanks to that knee injury that he suffered a season ago, 295 career hitter, OPS of 929. He's got 32 homers. He's knocked in 80 runs, scored 94 runs, stolen 18 bases, and, of course, won the Rookie of the Year award last year over Juan Soto in what I think was a kind of a tightly contested um, race for that award there and has been that debate about which one of them is going to be better. And now we're going to talk about Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who could also be thrown into that mix as best young hitter in baseball. But, Jeff Passan of ESPN wrote a really fascinating article that was all over the internet the last couple of days about Ronald Acuna being not only the next great young player, but perhaps the next Mike Trout. I'm really hesitant to throw those kind of comparisons onto young players, but we've also both seen Ronald Acuna play. We also both realize he's 21 years old and he's probably only going to get better. If you had to, your impressions of one year's worth of Ronald Acuna, where you saw him when he started where you saw him as he got hot, and where you see him right now. I'm impressed, for one. Did I expect him to do what he's done? Close to it. I don't know. Uh, I didn't expect the second half of last year to be quite as strong as it was, and it's something that I don't think you can maintain. So when you're looking at what's he capable of and what has he done, I think it's it's somewhere in the middle there. I, I love the fact that he struggled early on last year. And Snickers said, basically, we're going to have to send this kid down if he doesn't make an adjustment. He makes the adjustment. 
has ever struggled in his life, makes an adjustment, and then goes on a tear in the second half. First week and a half, two weeks of the season this year, he struggled again, and he made another adjustment. So what I love about Acuna is the fact that he learned so fast. There are going to be peaks and valleys for sure, and I think the valleys are going to be much slimmer, and you're going to have more peaks. Uh, but over the last seven games going into yesterday, he was hitting 250. Uh, swing had 10 strikeouts. He's swinging at balls out of the zone, but he's still hitting 250. He's still staying alive. It wasn't like he was hitting 150 over the last seven games and had 20 strikeouts. He'll pull it back together and rein it back in. And I think that's what I've been impressed with the most uh, over the past year is that his ability to make an adjustment. And he's going to continue to get better. And Snit said this yesterday uh, before the game. He said that Ronald Acuna is not a finished product. He still has a lot to learn, and he's going to continue to get better. And that's scary because you look at the numbers, the numbers you mentioned were crazy good, not even 162 games, and you're looking at the 32 home runs, the 28 doubles. Those are big-time numbers. And I think he is going to be that guy that's going to hit 290 to 300, 310 uh, with 30-plus homers every year. He's going to drive in 100 once he gets comfortable and they have the right guys around him and all that stuff, and everybody performs up to their expectations. This kid can do so many things on the baseball field. It's just been a lot of fun to watch. The one thing that I want to see him continue to improve at, and he's done a good job with, is improving in the outfield. Uh, last year, I thought his routes were a little bit off. They weren't yeah. direct. He misplayed some balls. Uh, but this year, he looks better. He'll still make some plays, and it's like, ah, like the ball last night, if you guys are watching the game, it was a ball off of Suarez's bat that hit the wall. He could have caught it. I felt like he could have caught it, um, but he didn't get to the wall first. Those are the things that you're going to see him continue to learn with and get better at. Uh, but he has gotten much better from last year to this year with his defense, and all that stuff's going to continue to improve. Yeah, and that's one of the scariest things, as you mentioned, about the fact that Ron Lacuna Jr. is not that finished product yet. He does still have things to grow, and the fact that he has that capacity to learn and, like you said, an uncanny ability to make adjustments that just make him that much better that much quicker. That's been an impressive part of watching Ron Lacuna Jr. play over the last calendar year with a lot more to be played this year and, of course, signing that nice big extension to stay in Atlanta for up to the next decade. That's not hurting anybody's feelings either to know he can do all these things and do it in a Braves uniform as well. But Ronald Acuna Jr. is just one piece of the puzzle. As the Braves have been putting things together this year offensively, I think you have to like a lot of what you've seen. Everybody hasn't gotten going at the same time, but you are getting contributions from just about everybody on a given night that has given the Braves a chance to offensively be hanging around in games because they're putting runs on the board. The question, though, becomes on the pitching staff side. And I was looking, just going through the splits of where the Braves are three-ish, almost four weeks into the season, and I was surprised to see that the staff ERA for the rotation was actually higher than that of the bullpen. Now, a lot of things can go into that, but I was just surprised to see it at first. And then you dive in and look at inherited runners scored and stuff like that. Tuki Toussaint had a great relief appearance, you know, air quotes, but then a really bad start after that, so that could skew everything back and forth as well. But long story short, I just have watched this rotation and most nights it's felt like they've been really good. And perhaps maybe Kevin Gosman a couple of nights ago, I felt like he pitched much better than his line indicated because when he left, there were some runners on base and they came in to score. But long story short, I was very surprised to see how 
close the ERAs were in general, and then the fact that the rotation was a bit higher. Small sample size doesn't really matter, just kind of surprising. But one thing that's not surprising, unfortunately, and one thing that's been the Achilles heel of the Braves' bullpen in particular is the walks. They are walking nearly six batters per nine innings pitched. And at the forefront of that right now, unfortunately, is Jesse Biddle. This is a kid that really came into his own as a capable major league reliever last year. This has been really, really tough to watch, Nick, and I'm sure tougher to experience for Jesse as he's searching for these answers. I mean, what do you do for a guy like Jesse Biddle right now? What can Brian Snitker do to try to get him back on track? I think you're going to end up seeing him go on the injured list. I think that's probably the the next move. You can't send him down. He doesn't have options. Right. I feel like somebody's willing to take a chance on him sure. if you did designate him. So I think the logical choice would be to put him on the injured list to try to get things figured out. And he'll have time to to go down to AAA on a rehab assignment and try to straighten things out. He's got to work on his mechanics and repeating his delivery. He's changed it up a little bit from last year. I, I I liked that little slide set thing he was doing last year. Um, I just wanted to figure out something that works for him. He's a big kid. He's 6'5", and I don't know if people realize that. It's difficult to repeat your delivery at times when you're that big. We see Chad Sabaka have trouble with that. Um, There are a lot of guys that have trouble with that when they're big. So you've got to tighten things up. You've got to uh, try to simplify things. I don't think they can continue to run him out there at the big league level. It's frustrating. I, I know that he did so well last year, and you feel like he can go out and have success. But it's those outings where he walked two guys right out of the gate. Um, you know, he had the last appearance, I believe, was a walk, intentional walk, and walk with the bases loaded. Yeah. And those are the outings that you're sitting there going, just throw a strike. Please just throw a strike. I think he threw 13 pitches. He threw four strikes. Yeah. So – you just can't you can't allow that to happen. It doesn't matter what the situation is because it's not good for anybody. Um, I think the best thing for Biddle, and I, I know he has confidence. I don't think the confidence is gone, uh, although it's been damaged a little bit, uh, is to just put him on the injured list, let him regroup, let him rest a little bit, work on some mechanical issues if you feel like that's where he needs to go with it, and then get it back out there on a rehab assignment and see what he, he has. But I don't think you could designate him because I think he's going to get picked up. And so is the depth in this organization that deep that no. you're okay losing a guy that could potentially pitch well? No, I don't think so. And I think that question's been answered over and over the last couple of years. And even though you've got some of these great young starters, that becomes a whole different kind of project. I mean, responsibly speaking, you want to put guys in a position to succeed, but also you know, their job, obviously, is to go out there and get outs. If you can do it as a starter, perhaps you can do it as a reliever as well, especially if you have the arm talent. So the Braves are going to have to answer that question. I think they've, it's almost reached critical mass at this point as well, where for so long it was, okay, you have a finite amount of starting rotation spots, five, maybe six, depending on how you're alternating guys in throughout the year. But this bullpen, when they didn't go out and sign major league free agents to fortify it and, and – add to that mix that they had, even if they believed in, say, five or six of the eight pitchers that they were going to have on that staff and then take a chance on a couple of other ones, they've really backed themselves into a very odd position where you're going to have to make some kind of decisions. Now, I appreciate, I think, the fact that Jesse Biddle really took some ownership of at least that first bad outing. He said, you know, this is not going to happen again. I appreciate that, you know, that sentiment, that confidence. And I can appreciate Brian Snitker, the manager, wanting to give him the opportunities to bounce back. But I think you hit the nail on the head by saying that 
this kind of thing cannot be allowed to keep happening, especially in close games, or really no matter what the situation is, because it's not benefiting Jesse Biddle. It's certainly not benefiting the team if you're losing games and you know walking batters and giving other teams the opportunity to just put runs on the board and add to a lead that makes a game that might have been winnable become insurmountable. But long story short, something's got to be figured out with Jesse Biddle. Eight walks in his last five outings. Six of them came in two of those outings. Uh, two and two-thirds innings pitched. So more walks than outs recorded over the last five appearances for Jesse Biddle. And I, I think you're right. I think you've got to you know, maybe shut him down for a little bit mentally, let him reset, and then get him out to figure out some mechanical things. Eric O'Flaherty, who you know we both know, and obviously Braves fans know from his time in Atlanta, had a really interesting tweet this week. I don't know if you saw it, but a fan asked him, is it really that hard to throw strikes? Which I think everyone has asked over the last probably calendar year. <laughs> As an analyst or as a as a former player or as a play-by-play guy or a fan, you know, sitting on your couch watching these games. And Eric O'Flaherty's answer to that I thought was really fascinating. He said, not if you're willing to go down in flames. At some point, you just aim right down the middle and see what happens. Either your stuff is good enough to pitch in the league or it isn't. Walks are usually a result of a pitcher subconsciously not wanting an answer to that question. I thought that was really fascinating and very candid for a guy whose job was to come in out of the bullpen and throw strikes and who did that job at a very high level for a number of years. But I still don't know what the answer is to the Braves' walk situation. And I threw that out on Twitter about a week ago myself and got a whole bunch of answers that were like, well, obviously get better pitchers. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) With the group that you've got, I mean, what can you really do? Is it a change in approach? Is it a change in mentality? I mean, you may have as many answers as I do, which may be not many, but I don't know. What do, what do you see when you watch a problem like this go on for as long as it has, and does it become more of a mental thing really than a physical thing? I think it has become mental for sure, and I think that you have to have some guys work on mechanical issues. That is part of the problem, part of the way baseball works. If your mechanics are off, obviously, obviously it's going to be harder to consistently throw strikes. The question for me is, we, as a pitcher, you're not, you're not, it's not etching your brain to throw it right down the middle. That's not what you're supposed to You're taught time after time after time to hit your spots. Okay. So when the catcher sets up on the outside corner, you're taught to hit the outside corner. Mm-hmm. Am, am I okay? Like Derek O'Flaherty said, am I okay throwing it right down the middle? I don't think anybody is because you don't want to get hit. I don't care who you are. You don't want to give up runs. When I pitched, I didn't want to give up runs. And I was just a position player going out to pitch. So I was trying to make pitches too. And these guys are, do it for a living every day. So they've got to figure something out. They, I think that it's going to take a couple guys pitching well to get over that hump because what we're doing as media is we're making the problem worse yes. by throwing it everywhere. These guys cannot get away from it. They know they walk the house they know in big situations that the media has been talking about these walks, so it's back in the back of your head. So how do you readjust that? And I think that the, the way to readjust it is you have to change your thinking. And when you ask a hitter, for instance, to not hit the ball in the air, don't hit the ball in the air, what do they typically do? They hit the ball in the air. Exactly. So now you're, you're talking about don't walk, guys, don't walk, guys. Well, what do they do? They get behind guys, and then all of a sudden, if they do throw a strike, it's right down the middle. So you have to find a way to flip the switch and focus on executing each pitch individually and not worrying about the rest. It's hard to do, really hard to do. Uh, But I think it's going to take a couple guys to step up and kind of flip that mindset 
for this thing to turn around. Yeah, I agree with that. And one of the things I saw, and I don't know if you got the same read on it as I did, but when A.J. Minter came in two nights ago, he looked like a different and much more aggressive A.J. Minter. I saw a lot more 96-97, a lot more accuracy. It looked like he was just going out there and letting it go and maybe pitching a little bit with an edge, with an aggressiveness. And I think that's nothing but good. Not that everybody out of that bullpen is going to come out and be able to do some of the things that A.J. Minter can do because I think when he's healthy and on track, he's the Braves' best reliever and has been for you know the better part of a calendar year, plus or minus Rodis Vizcaino's on and off status as far as the injured list is concerned. Uh, a lot of the things that you touched on, that tweet from Eric O'Flaherty, he actually continued to answer fan questions after that and a couple of the things that he said, I think, go right with or echo with a lot of the sentiments that you just shared. One of the fans that followed up immediately was saying, you know, that tweet that he sent out about pitchers not wanting to answer that subconscious question about whether you're good enough to pitch in the league was just burning a lot of major league relievers. And Eric said, it's not a burn. Baseball is a mental battle. You have to conquer self. Everybody in MLB has the ability. The guys that succeed are the ones that can tell the little voice in their head to STFU. It's much, much yep. easier said than done on the big stage. Now, he's talking about it from a pitcher's perspective. I know that you can talk about it from a hitter's perspective. You don't get to the major leagues without having the ability to succeed. But, and I don't know if I heard this in the minors. I don't know if I came up with this myself at this point. I don't know if a Google search would solve this or, or whatever. But I've always had this saying in the back of my head that humility is only a pitch away. Baseball is such a game that gives and takes, and I think that that's in in that a lot of the beauty can be found in the sport. But it is most definitely a mental battle. And the social media thing was another thing that Eric had brought up. You know, guys can't get away from it now, and I think that extends beyond the sporting realm to our entire lives. I mean, it's just we live in very very different times. Not to get totally off the rails and into psychology, you know, one hundred and one <laughs> or two hundred and one or whatever it is, but. We live in very, very different times, and I think that that does have an effect on people. And whether it's subconscious or conscious or both, at this point, there is going to be a lot of conquering of self that I think that's going to have to go on to allow these guys to pitch up to their capabilities. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what, what I look at is when you're, when you're dealing with these guys, and it's, easy, it's so easy for us to say, and it's so oh, yeah. easy for us to say, okay, just throw strikes. It's not that hard. Well, when I look at it from a hitter's perspective, if I go out and I swing it three balls that are not even close, strike out. All of a sudden, the next at bat, what do I think about? I think about that again. Mm-hmm. Or I think about not doing that. And all of a sudden, I've got myself out of what I do best. So you do have to trick yourself at times to believing you're better than you are. And that's part of the mental game when you play baseball. I honestly, after I got done, I don't know how I played. Uh, parts of eight years in the big leagues. I have no idea how I did it because I don't think I was that good. I was good enough to do it, but I tricked myself into believing that I was that good. And that's when I had the most success. If you don't fully believe that and there's any doubt in the back of your head, you're going to struggle. It doesn't matter if you're a pitcher or a position player. It happens. What happens to Chuck Knobloch when he can't throw to first base? Yeah. All it takes is one throw. That's it. It takes one throw and all of a sudden he can't throw. Uh, actually, Lourdes Gurriel um, in Toronto has the yips right now. And now he gets sent back to the minor leagues. That's affecting his hitting and everything else too. So there's so much to, to that goes into this as far as from a mental perspective. And the, these guys have the talent. We've been saying this for a long time. 
if you're in the big leagues, you have the talent to be there. It's about maintaining it and staying with it. I loved what you mentioned about A.J. Minter. I loved what I've seen from him the last two games that he's pitched. He's attacking, and he's like it's almost like he's throwing it through the catcher. Yep. And I, I see a lot of these guys just trying to toss it to the catcher, not through the catcher. And I think that makes a big difference too. And when you can see that and you, and you see guys like throwing to a spot instead of through the spot, it's almost like it's in their head that they don't want to fail. They don't want to make that mistake. I don't know the feeling because I haven't – I only pitched two innings and I was lucky enough to, not to give up any hits. But I don't know the feeling trying to hit a spot missing and then all of a sudden it's a home run. So, for instance, Tehran, uh last night, what I said that I hoped he would do, he did, was pound left-handers inside a little bit more. Yes. Well, Tehran is so nervous that he's going to miss when he tries to throw into a lefty. He's going to leak back over the plate that he doesn't want to do it. And and I feel like that's that that happens with the bullpen at times, and it creates walks and creates problems because they're afraid of what might happen if they make a mistake. Um, and so you have it, it's a, it is mental. It's it's crazy, and it's you can't say it's not mental. Obviously, there are mechanics involved in this thing too. Mm-hmm. But when you get down to it, baseball is mental and it is tough. Yeah, the Braves will continue to look for their answers in the bullpen, both individually and collectively. Uh, April's not really the time that you expect there to be a lot of blockbuster trades. One interesting thing, we don't have to dwell on this because it's just one of those reports that comes out. San Francisco Giants managed to assemble a pretty good bullpen. In fact, one of the best in the National League. And some of those guys might be available, according to Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. I'm sure that some phone calls will be made by a lot of different teams because the Braves are not alone in their bullpen struggles. In fact... If you look at it, the walks, certainly, they are head and shoulders above a lot of teams when it comes to the amount of walks. But when it comes to where they are on the collective, the Braves are kind of in the middle of the pack. There are some worse bullpens, especially ones that give up more hits and more homers. And if you want more on that, go look at the Baltimore Orioles stats. That's a dreadful bullpen. The Nationals are pretty bad as well. There's a lot of clubs looking for answers right now. The Braves, meanwhile, in the in-house portion of this, If they can get some guys back on track, that'll certainly go a long way so that when they do supplement and add, and I do expect that to happen, and I think most people do at some point during the season, that will make a bigger difference for the Braves to have hopefully more things clicking and going in that same direction at the same time. But let's stick a pin in the bullpen for a while and talk about this rotation. Max Freed is a guy that we talked about and have talked about a lot in the last month as he has joined the Braves rotation. He's been Atlanta's best starter, bar none this year, second-best ERA in Major League Baseball as we sit here heading into the weekend. He'll start against the Rockies. 1.38 is the ERA heading into the weekend. And Mike fulton is finally on his way back. He's expected to be activated from the injured list and start on Saturday. Nick, what should we expect from Fulte, and how much does this mean to the rotation and the staff as a whole to get back the guy that's supposed to be leading the charge for this pitching staff? It's huge to get Fulton Evans back, for one. Um, I don't know exactly what to expect because I didn't see him in his rehab starts. The numbers weren't good. The reports were good that the stuff was there. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's what you have to look at. The pitch count was up, so he shouldn't have any limitations there. Is the velocity up? I think that's something to look at. Uh, when I, I actually saw him, maybe two innings, they had a rain delay. And then he, he came back out. I, I had to leave. I couldn't stay after the rain delay. So when I saw him pitch that day on his rehab assignment, his fastball was 93-94. I didn't see any 97s, 98s, 99s. 
I don't know if that was one of the other reasons that they decided to give him one more start. Uh, apparently, the velocity's up was up in the last start, yeah. but how much up? I don't know because I wasn't there. Um, so I think that's that's just something to look at. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be amped up to get back to the big leagues. It means a ton to this rotation. You're starting to see the rotation solidify a little bit, which is great. Uh, it takes time to get these things straightened out, especially when you have guys injured. So now all of a sudden you have, you have uh, instead of Kyle Wright and Sean Newcomb and Bryce Wilson in the rotation, those are three guys that were in the rotation uh, to start out the season. <laughs> now you've got Soroka, who's been really good. Yeah, we'll Gosman's back, freed Tehran and Fulte. So the, the rotation is starting to shape up more in line with what we expected it to be. It definitely is. And Max Freed being at the center of this, I think it's kind of a surprise for both of us. And I think we were more along the lines of thinking, and I know I was, that I felt like Max Freed could be a definite weapon out of the bullpen, given how the rotation looked like it would be with Wilson and Wright both in there as the team broke camp. And obviously the opening series, they were both there as well. And then all of a sudden, things just seemed to change. And he grabbed this opportunity and has run with it and has been the Braves' best pitcher, bar none. I know we talked a lot about Max Freed last week. His last start out, I thought, was just more of the same from him. He's just a guy that pitches with a lot of confidence, and he's a guy that, and maybe this is, as you pointed out a couple episodes ago, when he did go to the bullpen, he felt like attacking was his best option as far as going right after hitters and throwing his best stuff. And I think that this maturity or this step or this evolution of Max Freed is something that might be a little bit of a pattern for other guys to follow or a mindset for other guys to follow that could lead to some good results in terms of some of those guys out there in that bullpen. What did Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, and John Smoltz used to do? They used to say, we want to best the person that pitched before us, right? right. So I think that's kind of where this, this rotation could be. You look at Max Freed, he's gotten off to a great start, and you want to match that. You don't want, you don't want to be the weak link. Uh, I thought Tehran threw the ball pretty well last night. It was, that was a step in the right direction. Uh, I think other guys can step up. And Soroka is a guy that, to me, is, should probably, as long as he stays healthy, be in the rotation for the rest of the year. But I think you look at Max Freed and you say, this is how we want to pitch. This is how we want to attack guys. He's been so good at just really going out there and trusting his stuff, being efficient with his pitches. He's locating but he's also pitching with a little bit of an edge. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to see. And that's one thing with Sean Newcomb that we didn't see. We didn't see that edge with Sean Newcomb. We didn't see him, uh, at least on the outside, going right at guys. And in, in his face, you could tell he was really trying to, to get things done. So uh, I think Max Fried is a guy that the whole staff can look up to and, and see how he pitches, how he attacks guys. I want to see how Max does throughout the year. The question mark that I have with Max – and I was, uh, like you said, we, we were big on him being in the bullpen. Well, somebody has to step up, and he's been the guy. So kudos to him, and I'm so glad he has because he's shown me more uh, than I expected to see. The question mark is can he stay healthy with his fingers because he has the blister problems? Right. Can he stay healthy throughout the course of the year? And also, how long do they let him go? They've got to get him some breaks. They can't let him go from – a max, what was his max, 120-ish innings, something like Thereabouts, that? Thereabouts, yeah. And that was like 2013. So how far do you take him with that next step? Uh, but he's gotten off to a fantastic start, and I want to see him pitch every five days. I know that you're going to have to give him a rest every now and then, 
I don't want to see it, but we don't have a choice. Uh, he's been that good. You want to try to keep him healthy for the long haul. So I've enjoyed watching him continue to improve and continue to impress. Irregular maintenance, I think, is the big thing that will benefit Max Freed. And that, of course, can be given to some of these Braves pitchers based on the fact they do have the depth to call guys up from AAA and to work in that pseudo sixth starter that the Braves did so much last year, which was effective and very helpful for Sean Newcomb, among others. But it could also be beneficial for Max Freed for different reasons, more so for some of those things that you threw out there. The blister problem, certainly something you don't want to speak into existence. You don't really want to think about it. I'm sure Max is tired of thinking about it and tired of dealing with it, most certainly. But nothing has seemed to stand in his way when he's gone out and pitched the way he has this year. He has certainly proven that he belongs in a major league rotation and look forward, as you said, to seeing him do this throughout the year. Another guy that we talked a lot about in spring training and we're now seeing out there healthy, Mike Soroka looked sharp in both of his outings. I think that the first one might have been knocking a little bit of rust off, but still very good against the Mets in that first outing. Even better against the Reds last time out. And Brian Snitker did something I really, really appreciated. Just from that old, I don't know, I don't want to call it old school standpoint, but maybe it is. Faith in Mike Soroka to go well over 100 pitches his last time out. It seems like Soroka's put this shoulder issue behind him, which is obviously nothing but a good thing for the rotation. But what did you think when you saw Snit come out there as Soroka was in a little bit of sixth inning trouble and giving him the opportunity to work out of it, even though it didn't go the way that I'm sure Mike would have liked or, or Brian hoped it was going when he got out there. But how much does showing that kind of faith in a young arm to give him the opportunity to work out of trouble, how much does that mean to the mentality, to the psyche of a young pitcher like a Mike Soroka? It means a lot, and it doesn't surprise me because if you looked at his first start, he had the bases loaded, and Snit left him in the game, and he got a ground out. So it didn't surprise me that he did it. I liked it. And the way the bullpen had been pitching, he was the best option. He didn't get out of that inning, and Tomlin came in and threw one pitch and got him out of the jam. Amazing. But he gave him the opportunity to do it. And that that speaks volumes to what Snit thinks of Soroka uh, as the competitor, as the guy that can get the job done, believed in him. I love the fact that he went 109 pitches. Uh, the most he had thrown in his brief major league career was 90. Yep. So that was 19 more pitches, so almost 20 pitches more than he's ever gone at a, at a, in a big league start. He went 85 in his first game. So you're sitting there at 100. Ah, you gotta, are you going to pull him? You're going to pull him? And then Snit leaves him out there, and he goes 109. I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, I thought Soroka did a really good job. And kudos to Josh Tomlin for getting him out of that jam. But uh, I think that goes a long way with the confidence of a pitcher if you trust them and believe in them and show that belief in them that they can get the job done and that you believe that they can. And I, I go back to Jesse Biddle. I know we want to leave the bullpen where it is, but Jesse Biddle going back out, after he struggled uh, and said that it wasn't going to happen again, it Snit ran him back out there the next day. That's the type of manager Brian Snicker is. He yes. knows how much that means to these guys. So you want to run him back out there and give him that opportunity to get through it. As a starting pitcher, you get into a jam, what do you want to do? You want to get out of the jam by yourself. You don't want to rely on somebody else to get you out of the jam. For goodness sakes, as a competitor, I'm going, if I'm at 140 pitches and I'm in gym, I want to go 150 and get out of the gym. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's what you want to see with these guys. And are they baby at times? Yes, they are. And that's kind of how it works. But uh, they, in that instance, in Cincinnati with Soroka, I was just so happy that 
that Snicker left him out there and gave him that opportunity. Like you said, 109 pitches for Soroka, most in his seven big league starts, which obviously isn't a lot, but the indicator being, especially when you thought about the shoulder injury as being something that the Braves are going to monitor all year long, clearly that was not something that they are concerned with in the same way that they were. It'll be something I would imagine to keep in the back of your mind, but I like that it didn't necessarily drive the decision there. Now, I don't want to drive these guys until you break them. You know, I don't want to drive them like a rental car or whatnot, but pitch counts are important, but I don't think that they tell the whole story. And I think that sometimes maybe they short circuit the developmental process as you come through the minors, especially when you're not really allowing guys to push their limits in healthy and productive ways toward their maturation process, which will turn them into a great big league pitcher, though admittedly, and you know this better than I do, you can do a lot of things in the minor leagues, but there are still a lot of things that you learn both about the game and about yourself when you get to the big league level and receive that new set of challenges. And I just love the fact that Brian Snitker gave Mike Soroka that opportunity. 109 pitches, I would imagine, just based on how good he was in the minors. I would go out on a limb to say Soroka had not thrown that many pitches in a professional start. I'd have to go back and really look to find some of his minor league outings in which he went deeper into games and maybe threw eight or nine innings or uh, seven and had to work through some things. But for the most part, when you watched a Mike Soroka start in the minors, it was about as efficient as anything you were going to see. And I, I just enjoy seeing this next level of challenge given to a young guy like that who, as you mentioned, if he's healthy, he's going to be in the rotation for the rest of the year. I don't see any reason to take him out whatsoever because he may end up being much like Max Reed, one of those great young pitchers that can really help carry your rotation if things go well for both of those guys. On the lineup side of things, Josh Donaldson's been showing some signs lately of heating up. He had a big game against the Indians in the finale on Sunday night baseball. Apparently, he really enjoys playing on Sunday nights on ESPN. Uh, The power's certainly there. I feel like, and I know this series in Cincinnati did not go the way that he wanted it to, but you're going to have some ups and downs. But overall, it seems like after that first week or 10 days that Josh Donaldson's starting to kind of hone in on who and what he is, and it's really only a matter of time before he goes on a Josh Donaldson-sized hot streak. What do you think? I agree with that. And even though he has struggled a little bit, he's still on a six-game hitting streak, and that's a good sign. Just like we talked with Acuna, if these guys can maintain those uh, those valleys at around 250, you know, you're, you're feeling like you're in pretty good shape. And what Donaldson's been able to do as far as getting back on time uh, from the beginning of the season until now, it just – what's making him so good. Mm -hmm. And he has the ability, like you said, he has the ability to carry a team. Josh Donaldson works so hard at his craft. You know that it's going to come together at some point. And we saw that the two home runs on Sunday at baseball, I thought those were great. Uh, I I love the fact that he's able to go down and get a slider and then go up at the top of the zone and hit a fastball out. That shows you what type of hitter he is and how in tune with his mechanics and his body that he is when he swings. I don't. I just can't wait for him to go on that tear. He's at 261 right now. Uh, this he's got seven doubles, four home runs, and I think those numbers are going to continue to go up and up and up. So, what I've seen from Donaldson, obviously he's played good defense, uh, but what I've seen as far as him getting back on time is what's so encouraging to me that he's going to go on that tear at some point in the near future. He certainly can, and he's certainly capable of it, and he's certainly shown it in his time with the Toronto Blue Jays and. 
The big question that I think that a lot of people have gone into, and I don't certainly want to start the debate here necessarily because I don't think you and I are along those lines. I mean, the Josh Donaldson signing was a good thing for the Braves' offense. I think you and I both watched the last six or eight weeks of the season when it was basically Ronald Acuna was on fire, Ender and Ciarte had heated up, but the rest of the lineup had a lot of peaks and valleys in that second half. So when you add an impact bat, which I do think that the Braves sorely needed, that makes a big difference. Now, what it's done in terms of playing time for Johan Camargo, that, of course, is, I, I would imagine, another debate for another day. But the versatility that Camargo has, what Charlie Culberson's doing off the bench, the fact that Matt Joyce has been a nice pickup, the Braves are deeper offensively in 2019 than at any time I can remember recently. And maybe going back to, I mean, Nick, when you were a hotshot Braves prospect back in 2003, <laughs> when the Braves had that huge offensive year and you had Sheffield was hitting 40 homers and you had Andrew and Chipper were hitting 30 homers and um, Javi Lopez hit that record year for home runs by a catcher. It may not be a whole bunch of 40 homer guys per se, but when it comes to the overall run producing ability and the talent in this lineup with Ozzie Albies clicking and Dansby Swanson coming on and Brian McCann back and there's a lot of good things happening for this offense right now. And I know that that doesn't take away from the problems that you have in the bullpen, but you have to feel good about hopefully solving that problem so that when you do get to the other one, there's an opportunity to have a very complete team here. Even if you've lost a couple of games, certainly that you didn't want to lose. I think with a red hot Donaldson and the guy hitting behind him, Freddie Freeman as an on-base machine right now to start the year, you have to feel I would say confident in your lineup's ability to give you that chance to win each and every night. And I think that's important to take some stress off of the pitching staff. The, the offense is going to score runs. Now, if you want, if you want the, uh, the downside of this is the Cincinnati series, they were two for 30 with runners in scoring position. So they're going to, they're going to struggle at times too, but they're, they're going to continue to hit. And that's, you want to have a, a deep lineup. They've got a deep lineup. I know guys, there are a lot of guys that I've talked to want Camargo to be in the lineup every day, and that might happen. But right now, it's all about the depth uh, as far as the offense side is concerned. They have that depth. They've got Matt Joyce off the bench. They've got Charlie Culberson off the bench. Uh, do you want Matt Joyce playing every day? Probably not. Um, do you want Charlie playing every day? You can, and that's the best part about Charlie is he can play two months at a time at any position and be fine. And you, you don't seem to miss a beat. But you don't want to push those guys into action and then all of a sudden your bench suffers from it. Yeah, You want to be able to have a great bench, and that's what they have. And that's why they're doing what they're doing. That's why they signed Josh Donaldson. Camargo makes the bench better. Culberson makes the bench better. Joyce makes the bench better. And then now you're seeing other guys step up. Ozzy's done a nice job. Acuna, uh, Freddie Freeman's been outstanding. Marquecas. And by the way, did you see the – the exactly did you see the uh four outfield shift against freddie freeman over the weekend i did see or that not the over the weekend over the Cincinnati, Cincinnati yeah the red seemed to enjoy that it's kind of fun right it's something that we haven't seen often uh you we saw some of it in spring training but when you're doing that to a guy like freddie freeman you're saying we don't know how to get you out mm -hmm. that's how good he is and he's able to beat the shift uh to the left side of the field he'll hit it through the shift on the right side and teams just haven't figured out how to play him. Nick Markakis is a guy that is playing with a chip on his shoulder. He had to take a pay cut after a gold glove, silver slugger, and all-star appearance last year. Uh, Tyler Flowers did a nice job. So this lineup as a whole, I am just really impressed with the improvements certain guys have made. Dansby's one of those guys. Mm -hmm. I think Ender is 
kind of on the right track right now. If he can continue to hit the ball the other way, he has a couple bunt hits uh, since he's been moved out of the leadoff spot. Uh, I don't know if for him, I think that kind of is going to help him if he's willing to do that more, hitting the ball the, uh, the other way. If he can continue to get better and be more of who he was uh, the second half of last year and the year before, then all of a sudden, one through eight, this team is, is really good. And they have the depth of sit some guys out every now and then and not miss a beat. And defensively speaking, you add that component to what is offensively a very encouraging look for this team when the lineup's clicking and with some of these guys, as you mentioned, either off to good starts or perhaps returning to form. I think for Ender and Ciarte, real quickly, he's just going to have to do a lot of those little things, I think, and recognize that he's going to have to change his approach a bit, hit the ball the other way. Bunt hits would certainly be helpful for a guy like that. I mean, I'm not advocating other guys bunting and some of that kind of stuff happens at inopportune times for a club when you think about it a little bit too much. And I'm not saying Freddie Freeman needs to bunt against the shift most certainly, but for a guy like Ender, it makes sense given his skill set. But he's a guy that, as you mentioned, one through eight at that point, you can have a lineup that could really be clicking. But in the midst of that, when you got Donaldson, you got Freeman, and you got Acuna, and they're all clicking, and guys are getting on base in front of them, it's going to be a pretty good year for the Braves offense. And it looks as such in the early returns that we can expect some pretty good stuff from that Braves lineup. So that'll wrap up our Braves talk for this episode of From the Diamond. A couple of things happening, though, around the big leagues of particular interest, and one of which is, I say, long-awaited because he probably could have been up last year, but I'm talking about the impending or upcoming Major League debut of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays. He is set to join the club and make his debut on Friday. So this podcast will come out before that. Uh, We talked a little bit about him here and there, but based on what you've seen, what you've heard, the videos that are out there, and of course the word of mouth, which is spread very quickly, this guy is going to be a pretty special player, is what it sounds like. His dad, certainly in Cooperstown, a very special player. Uh, What are your expectations of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as he gets his first taste of the major leagues? I'm expecting him to do big things. I don't think the the moment is going to be too big for him. He's an absolute stud. A buddy of mine coached him uh, last year, and he said he texted me about Ronald Acuna, and I told him how good Ronald Acuna was. And he said the rumor is Vlad Jr. is a better hitter than Ronald Acuna. And I said if he's a better hitter than Ronald Acuna, then he's going to be really special. Well, all he did last year as a 19-year-old was hit 20 home runs, hit 381, driving 78 in 95 games. That's it as a That'll 19-year-old. Work. That'll work. Um, that's pr- pretty good, right? And uh, it, it, this kid, this kid is is special. Uh, I love the the pedigree. Um, I think it's just so cool that we get to see the son of a Hall of Famer be such a big deal. I, I think that's awesome. Where where is he going to hit in the order? I think that's going to be interesting debate as well. I, I Charlie Montoyo they said. Uh, didn't want to tip his hand, but he said he likes to have his best hitter in the three spot and probably out of the gate. Uh, that's Vlad Jr. is probably the best hitter on the team. So mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to see, but I'm just excited for baseball. I, I love the fact that these young kids are so good and so talented and so ready. Uh, he should have been up to start the season. He got hurt and made the Jays decision a lot easier Yeah, because they were going to send him down and do the service time thing and all that. Uh, made it a whole lot easier because he was hurt. So 
now they're going to gain that extra year of control over him. But I actually think that anybody that has the ability to watch him make his debut should probably tune in. I think that's how good he is. So must-see TV for a debut for a young player for baseball. As you mentioned, that's nothing but a good thing. And the hype around this kid, the buzz around this kid, I think obviously is warranted. And sometimes you wonder like what it's going to mean or how it's going to affect a, a young guy. But you brought up something very interesting. I don't think the moment's going to be too big for him. And one of the big reasons why is he's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He has been around the sport. He has a different <laughs> understanding and I, I would imagine a different mentality that comes from growing up around the game and oh by the way your dad is one of the best players in baseball throughout his career and I think that that hitting gene has certainly been passed from father to son because if you watch these guys and watch the swings and just the the style of hitter that they are it's it's uncanny almost to watch the two of them now different body types most certainly and I think that's probably one of the only knocks that you could say on Guerrero right now is you wonder as he matures, is he going to fill out even more? Is he going to be able to stay at a good playing weight? Those kind of things I think are really the only um, aspects that people are kind of wondering about quietly or otherwise. But this guy can flat out hit. And was it about a year ago in that exhibition game where Vlad Jr. came up at Olympic Stadium wearing his father's number and hits a walk-off home run for the Blue Jays in Canada with his father in attendance? I mean, that's the kind of cool <laughs> stuff that he gave you in an exhibition game that was just a little peek about whether or not a moment was going to be too big for him. I really don't think it's going to be. There'll be ups and downs. You know, there'll be the offers. There'll be the four strikeout game or whatever that's going to happen every once in a while, though, for him, maybe not many. But either way, like you said, I, I think this is nothing but exciting to be able to talk about these young talents and the state of baseball when it comes to these young kids, how good they are, and what that means to energizing not only a fan base of a particular team, but fans of Major League Baseball in general. I want to, I want to talk about one thing, too, and um, I don't know if you saw this. If you haven't seen Vlad Jr., you haven't seen the highlights, go to MLB Network's Facebook page. I know they posted on there. They did a little hype video on yeah. him. It, 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 it is unbelievable. It is so good and gets you so excited about this kid. Um, I don't know. I, I, I literally want to watch every one of his at-bats, especially right out of the gate. I want to see how he does, and, and I want to feel that excitement. But that video uh, of Vlad Jr. just got me so excited for his debut, and he's not even a braid. And we might not see him much at all because he's in Toronto. But if we can see him, make sure you tune in. The Braves and Blue Jays will play this year. I believe it's early September, maybe Labor Day weekend, two games for Toronto at SunTrust Park. So at that point, we'll have a pretty good idea of who and what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is upon making his debut and getting his first taste of the major leagues. And that will not only be must-see TV, but might be kind of a hot ticket if you're into seeing some of the best players in baseball. Vlad Guerrero may be on that very short list in very short order. So very excited to see him coming to the major leagues. Meanwhile, in the National League East, as you mentioned, the Phillies look like a team that could run away with the division when the Braves saw them to open the season up. Since then, I won't say they've fallen back to earth, but they've been much along the lines of the Braves, of the Nationals, of the Mets, the four teams that are competing for this division. They have had their ups and they have had their downs. And one of their downs earlier this week happened on Monday in a loss to the Mets. Jake Arrieta was on the mound, and after the game, I think was the – most interesting part of that entire Phillies and Mets um, 
battle on that particular day, Bryce Harper was thrown out of the game. He was ejected by the home plate umpire. And obviously, when your best player, your best hitter, your highest paid player at that is not in the game, he doesn't have the opportunity to affect the game in a positive way. Well, Jake Arrieta did not hide from that fact in his postgame comments, Nick. He said, quote, we need him in right field, him being Harper. I don't care how bad the umpire is. He wasn't great for either side. I'm out there trying to make pitches. He misses some calls. So what? We need him out there. I'm out there doing everything I can to win a game. I need my guys behind me, and they weren't. That's end quote. That's a couple of different quotes from Jake Arrieta. I know that in baseball, at least from what I've gathered, starting pitchers are usually, I want to say measured with their comments based on what's going on behind them, things that are in their control or not in their control, and the fact that you know it's it, baseball obviously is a complicated game at times and a, and a frustrating game at times, but we're not even out of the first month of the season. These are some big words, I think. And they don't always come from starting pitchers, I guess is the point that I'm trying to make. Nick, did you find this to be, I don't know, off-putting? Or did you find this to be honest? Or how did these words strike you from Jake Arrieta on his frustrations of losing that game and also kind of calling out the entire team for really kind of playing flat behind him that night and Harper in particular? I like it. I mean, sometimes you need to hear these things. And it's just like a relationship or anything else. I want you to be honest with me and tell me the truth uh, because I don't want you to hold up any pent-up aggression based on something that I did did or didn't do. Same thing with this. They're going to be with each other for 162 games. Does Jake Arrieta need to say this every game? No, he doesn't. Right. But he's letting Bryce Harper know that it's important that he stays in the game. He cannot afford to do that. They need him. They need him on the field if he's sitting in the dugout because he got ejected and his spot and order comes up in a big situation and he's not there, then he's hurting his team. Mm-hmm. So I think it needs to be said. I like it. Um, I don't really care who says it, but Jake Arrieta obviously has a track record and he's a guy that can lead and he's been around a while and had success. So there, I have no problem with him saying that at all. I actually think it's good for the team. But I also think it's good – for everybody else to to understand the expectations of what these veteran guys expect. They've been around. They know how to win. What does it take to win? Well, it takes hard play every single day, for one. And it takes smart play. You can't be selfish. Steve Phillips on MLB Network Radio wore Harper out about this because it, it was a selfish move because he's worried about himself, and all of a sudden he hurts his team. That stuff has to be said every now and then. And like I said, it's not going to be said every day. Uh, This is 162 games. But to let these guys know what's expected and how you win, I think is important. I think it is too. And one of the interesting things that just from talking to several players of several different, you know, ages, I don't say generations because obviously I'm I'm not that old and I haven't talked to anybody that's, you know, played the game back in the 50s or 60s. But you can kind of, if this stuff is said in moderation, as you just said, and at times it needs to be said, I think it can have a positive effect on the team. I think it can be something that can be a catalyst for change in a positive way. If you hear it every single day, from my understanding, you pretty much tune out, which is why you don't hear about a lot of major league managers going in and you know flipping over the catering table and throwing a fit after every single loss because it just doesn't resonate when you're talking to, you know for the most part, millionaire athletes on a given night. It just doesn't resonate the same as, say, when you're a high school coach was furious about that and may have done the same thing and nobody got to eat after the game 
and nobody got ice cream and everybody was sad and then you knew you needed to come play better the next time. I guess to make a long story short, it's much more nuanced in the way that you manage over the course of a long major league season than it is at any other level in the big leagues. And I'm not trying to dumb it down or, or anything like that, but just the perception is very different, I think, and, and the message that you send over 162, and that is part of the value of these veteran players and part of the value of having the right manager who has the right temperament to help build the right team when it comes to that clubhouse chemistry that's that aspect that people talk about but maybe don't fully want to give the credit that sometimes it deserves and in other times maybe it's given too much credit altogether i don't know where do you stand on that no i i think that i mean you're right i i i like i like some of this stuff i i've been on teams where this stuff gets old and people are right. frustrated every day but that's not what you want that's not how you build team chemistry but at the same time i, I feel like this generation has been so I don't want to say baby, but baby to an extent where it's like everybody's afraid to say something to the superstar, you know? Well, that's where, that's where people learn how to do things the right way, how to get better and how to get the most out of, out of a player by looking at these guys as an example. Right. Well, if Bryce Harper's out there running his mouth and getting thrown out of games and nobody says anything, people are going to think that's all right. It's okay. Maybe I'd do it next time. You know, I'm frustrated. I don't want to hit again. And, they don't realize the damage it does to the team. And I think a lot of teams, especially well, when I was playing, you had two or three veteran guys that basically policed everything. And a lot of teams have gone away from that stuff and letting the kids play. Well, you still got to police it a little bit. You still have to understand what works and how to rein these kids in and what's important. Major League Baseball, it's all about winning. I understand that everybody gets these contracts. They want to get paid, all that. There's nothing better than winning in Major League Baseball. So I think as a team, you have to come together and figure figure out how that works. If you just let guys do whatever, then all of a sudden you've got a team full of talented players that can't win, and then it's no fun. So it, it's I, I, I like this stuff, um, and I'm kind of – I don't know. I don't want to get on a soapbox or anything, but I'm a little bit old, more old school with it. And I wish some of this stuff would be reined in. I've gotten more used to uh, the era of baseball that we're dealing with now, and I like it. But also, you've got to have some sort of you got to have some sort of silver lining. It is what you're trying to accomplish out there, and sometimes the the hard things need to be said. Most definitely, and I think I enjoy, and I'm sure you do too, the emotion that can be shown through the game. And I don't want to put a damper on that at all because I think it gives to the personality and the authenticity of the players. And I think that that's what fans ultimately connect with is that kind of passion with it. But there's also a certain amount of wisdom that comes from experience. And this is nothing to do with bat flips or whether or not you should be able to hit a guy or not hit a guy. I think we've all got our own thoughts on that. And I think for the most part, a lot of that stuff and that, that kind of mentality maybe gets a little bit old and certainly doesn't do the game any favors right now. So not talking about all that kind of thing, but just in terms of some valuable lessons that are learned over the course of 162 with the idea ultimately being win baseball games because as you pointed out nick it's a lot more fun when you're winning i think everybody enjoys that a lot more than going through the frustrations of long losing streaks or things just not going your way over a short period or a long period of time so a lot of wisdom can be gained from the experience that comes of playing the game for a very long time and most certainly for the phillies they're going to need i think all of that that they can get both the on the field talent part the wisdom and leadership part and all of the other factors that go into creating a winning team because that ultimately 
can take you to that next level, and that's something that they're looking for. They haven't gotten there yet. They look great on paper, but they haven't gotten there yet, and this division still, I think, is going to be quite the race with four teams looking to make it their own. So that's what's going on around the big leagues. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Just search for From the Diamond. Ratings and reviews appreciated, and on Twitter, at From the Diamond underscore. I'm at Grant McCauley, and Nick is at Nick Green 20 FromTheDiamond.com. You can find it all there. We'll have it all covered for you all season long. Nick, I enjoyed it, and I appreciate your veteran leadership on this podcast very much. <laughs> I'm glad you uh, you like my veteran leadership. I I'm appreciate that. Most appreciative of that, and look forward to conversing with you at the ballpark as the Braves come home and host the Colorado Rockies this weekend. So uh, best of luck with all of the things going on over at Fox Sports South. I know you're a very busy man, so I appreciate your time on the podcast as always. You got it, man. All right, for Nick Green, I'm Grant McCauley. This has been From the Diamond, and we will catch you next week. So long, everyone.